Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today on the program, Pastor Larry answers an important Bible question, and he talks with Jonathan Kahn about Mysteries Explained. First, though, I want to remind you to register for our next in-person conference. It's the Central Florida Prophecy Conference, which will take place Friday and Saturday, January 28th and 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Registration is free, so visit swrc.com and click on Events at the top of the homepage. There you can see the complete list of speakers and the schedule for the conference. The Central Florida Prophecy Conference, January 28th and 29th in Lakeland, Florida. Register today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visit swrc.com. Our host, Pastor Larry Spargimino, is joined now by author and teacher Jonathan Kahn. Jonathan Kahn has authored bestsellers, The Harbinger, and The Book of Mysteries, and also The Oracle. Today, they begin a discussion that will unlock the mysteries of the ages. Here is Pastor Larry and Jonathan Kahn. Thank you, Jonathan, for your life and ministry and for coming to Oklahoma City. It's always a joy to be with you, Larry. Always an honor. I remember the programs we've done before. They were always exciting. And then we'd go and eat somewhere and somebody <laughs> in the parking lot would say, hey, you're Jonathan Conner, aren't you? <laughs> and I didn't deny it. Sometimes I have to, but yeah, always great. Yeah. One of the things that amazes me about you is that you are so well-known, but you're a very humble man. And that tells oh, me about the you. grace of God. You well, are a servant, not a Lord or anything of the sort. So praise the Lord. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it's all about the Lord. Thank you, Larry, and you too. Well, Jonathan, you have a new book and also an eight DVD album, The Oracle Uncensored, and the book is The Oracle. What is The Oracle and what will it reveal? Yeah, The Oracle is the widest, biggest mystery that I've done. And it's so big uh, that it goes behind the mystery behind everything, the events of our lives, the world, the past, the present, the future, the secret of what's happening now, right? Right now, current events, what is yet to happen, it's really the template of end-time prophecy and includes everything from Moses to Mark Twain, from Daniel to Donald Trump, and also leading up to the second coming and even the mysteries of heaven and our salvation. That's how big it is. It's really such a big thing that if you asked me years ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what we're going to talk about today, but it's gigantic. I had literally 3,000 pages of notes with this one. The big challenge was how do I get that into one book? And you can't. So so that's why we have the DVDs as well, the special series. But I'll just give it a little idea before we get into the, the things. First of all, it's something called the Jubilee and Mysteries, and that is that we know about the Jubilee. God gave the year, the 50th year, so it's a year of restoration. If you lost your house, you lost your land on the year of Jubilee, you go home. Whoever's on your land has got to go off. It's the year of returning, you know, and all those things. Well, the amazing thing is that we have a nation, Israel, and that's the center of the end times. It starts when Israel returns to the land. Well, therefore, it's going to be linked to the Jubilee Mysteries, and we're going to see there's a 50-year mystery here to God, and that all these things, that every 50 years a major prophetic event takes place concerning Israel, the return, the restoration, Jerusalem, and this goes back, we're going to see it from the 19th century all the way to our time right now, and then another mystery we'll get into in the book, it's called the Parasha Mystery, and that is that God has these appointed words that are read in the synagogues of the world every week. They open up the scrolls. And the thing is, 
the words that they read, I'm not saying it has to be every time, but the amazing thing is that when they read the words around the world and the events that the words are speaking of come true when it happens. We're going to see a whole other realm with that. Many of you who are listening know The Harbinger. And The Harbinger, I'm revealing prophetic truth, but I did it in a story. The Harbinger is all real reality, but it's told in a story to make it very easy to, to do it. The Oracle also, I framed it in a story, kind of an epic quest where a man goes to search for a man called the Oracle on a mountain. And the Oracle is going to really speak the mysteries of God. And it's going to happen through these seven doors where there's several mysteries in every door. We'll be able to go through each door, but I'll just be able to touch on some for the time we have. And everything's in the book and everything's in the DVD. So we'll go through each of the doors and I'll share some of the mysteries in them. I remember, Jonathan, when we did the programs on the paradigm, you know, I was reading some of the things about Jehu and so forth and Jezebel and Ahab and so on. And I thought, where's this guy going to go with this? But the parallels were so close and so accurate. You weren't making anything up. You were not twisting the scriptures. You were not taking current events out of context. You knew exactly what you were talking about. And the parallels that you pointed out were amazingly accurate, right down to the last jot and tittle. So you really impressed me on the paradigm. Well, thanks. The Oracle came like a download, like the paradigm, you know. (laughs) And it also, it's a different kind of mystery, and yet it's going to have that same exactness and the same really amazingness of God. It's a multitude of mysteries of God all together in this one. And it's really his plan. And the other thing is, you know, we read the Bible and you read about God being real in the Bible in the Old Testament. He moves. What the oracle is going to say is that God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our salvation is alive and well. And he's moving just as much in this world, in our world, as he was back then. But if the Bible was written today, you would see amazing things. And we're going to see things that, again, a little while back, I couldn't tell you because this was just continually coming, but it's amazing God is. Your book, The Paradigm, perhaps even more, The Oracle, is going to be a wonderfully encouraging work to the nation of Israel. Yeah. Because now with Iran and all the threats, I mean, it's really a bad situation over there. But, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is so wonderful. We often sing we have an awesome God. We also have an awesome Bible (laughs) to have all of this stuff in it. Yeah. So I think you are making a tremendous service, number one, to the Christian community in America, to Christians all over the world, and especially to the Jewish people in Israel. Larry, that's the whole aim. And, you know, the Oracle is for believers, but also if people are not believers— Give it to them because it's a powerful thing. It's very hard to argue with the hand of God. And as you just said, yeah, and also Jewish people as well. It's for everybody. And also the other thing is that, you know, we're looking at what's happening in the world, and it's easy for believers to get discouraged. Like, oh, no, what are they doing now? They're censoring Christians. They're doing all that. But what this is saying is, listen, God is very much alive, real, and he's on the throne, and you are still on the winning side. And to see how real God is, to encourage you to be strong for the hour such a time as this. That's a wonderful service and a wonderful gift that you have. But Jonathan, where does it begin? Take us to the beginning. It begins with a man named Moses, and we're on a mountain. It's Moses' last words to Israel. And what people don't realize is the first one to give end-time prophecy was Moses. It's there. The initial end-time sign is Israel comes back in the world. We know that. Well, first of all, he said the Jewish people are going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. But then he says at the end times, God is going to gather them back. But before it happens, he gives a sign. 
He says, the land of Israel that was like milk and honey is going to be a wasteland, desolate wasteland. And it was. It became exactly what God said. But then he says, a stranger is going to come from a foreign land, and he's going to come to the land, and he's going to bear witness that this is desolation. There's no hope. And after that, he says, and then the Lord will gather you back. Now, did the stranger ever come? We're opening the first door, and I'm probably just going to talk about, I'm just going to give you one. There's a mystery here of strange things that start happening in the land of Israel about 150 years ago, and it all centers on one year. And some of the mysteries that I'll just touch on is the mystery of the man with the measuring line. Another one's the mystery of a lost city that reappears after 2,000 years. There's all sorts of mystery, but I'm going to focus on the stranger. It happens. In the 19th century, when the land is desolate, this is kind of like the beginning of the end times. There's a man who comes from across the world. He's the stranger. He comes from across the world, from America, actually, and from the West Coast. So he's at the end, comes there to the land, and he comes there with a notepad to bear witness of the land. Now, I see by your reaction, you know who it is. Many people don't realize that you already know this man is Mark Twain. God brings him there, and Mark Twain's a cynic, he's a skeptic, but God uses him. He goes there, and he starts bearing witness of how desolate the land is, and as he does it, he's using, as I looked at this, he's using the same words that Moses is using and is prophesying that he would use. Moses says he's going to say, there's no grass at all that grows in this land. <laughs> Mark Twain says, there is no grass that grows in this land. It goes on and on and on. He's saying the words of Moses, but even beyond that, I told you, this mystery called the Parashas, these appointed words. Mark Twain is there. He's in Jerusalem. It's the peak of his journey. It's his final full day and night in Jerusalem. Okay, he's there. It's a Sabbath. So that means there's an appointed word all around the world that's being proclaimed on the scrolls. What is the word? The word, when he's there, the stranger in Jerusalem, the word is from Moses, you, the stranger shall come to your land, and he shall bear witness as he's there. And so all over the world, they're proclaiming it, and he's there. And he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and he's hearing them chant this prophecy. He doesn't know it's about him, and they don't know it's about him that it's being fulfilled. I mean, God's amazing. Now, let me throw this out. Right after he does this, because Moses says the stranger's going to come, all these things are going to happen. Well, all these strange things begin happening in the land. And what happens is right after he does this, the beginning of the land's redemption comes. All of a sudden, the Jewish people, a few of them, start returning. Then more and more and more. And it all begins, and this year is 1867. All these other things are going to happen the same year. This is going to turn out to be the first Jubilee year. Actually, if you go back, the people who own the land, who are occupying the land, is the Turkish Ottoman Empire, Islamic. They're not for prophecy. But when did they get the land? They got the land in 1517, centuries before. In the Bible, the number seven is a number of completion. Count seven jubilees, seven jubilees, it takes you to the year 1867. It's the seventh jubilee. It all begins. End-time prophecy is set in motion this year. Now, let me tell you something else. The Jewish people for 2,000 years, they're praying, Lord, have mercy, rebuild Jerusalem, bring us back to the land, rebuild, bring us to Jerusalem. And they say that their things are, Lord, hear our prayers, hear us, even from the nations, hear us, and be merciful to us and do it. The name Mark Twain isn't his real name. His real name was Samuel. Biblical. Samuel means God has heard. And his last name, Clemens, means and has been merciful. <laughs> the answer of the prayer. An amazing thing. So things are all going to be set in motion in that time. And actually, Mark Twain, people don't realize this, Mark Twain is going to be used to bring Israel back into the world years after his death, but I won't go into that. That's another mystery. But now, now we're going to go to the second door. Okay. 
What happens right, if you take that jubilee in year, 1867, count to the 50th year, what year will it take you? Will anything significant happen that has to do with restoration? It takes you to the year 1917. 1917 is the next jubilee year. And so what happens? Well, now the mysteries that were planted in Israel by God, it's like all in sea form in the first jubilee, are going to come to fruition in the second. It's going to shake the entire world. It's going to involve a world war. I mean, this is how awesome God is. He's in charge of everything, because for all this to happen, every event in the entire world had to line up with this. You have a world war, and on one side of the war, you've got the Ottoman Empire that has the land. On the other side, you have the British Empire that just had a revival and has a love for the Jewish people. So the year of Jubilee is approaching. Now, as it approaches, in England, there's a prime minister in power who is not in favor of the Jewish people returning. But just as the year of Jubilee is coming, his government collapses. God raises up two men at that very moment for the year of Jubilee. It is David Lloyd George, prime minister, and Arthur Balfour, the Balfour Declaration. And these two are going to have a love for Israel, and they're going to issue the Balfour Declaration. For the first time in 2,000 years, a major power is giving the land, says the land should go back to Israel. Jubilee, everyone shall return to their own possession. The land goes back to the people. It's in the exact year, exact time. And not only that, but, you know, when Britain did that, they didn't have the land. The Ottoman Empire had the land. But God raises up another Christian, who is Edmund Allenby, who was raised on the Bible, General Ed Allenby, has a Bible with him all times, and he is used to take back the land, which is then going to be promised to the Jewish people, Jubilee. We are offering our listeners both the book, The Oracle, and also the eight-DVD set, The Oracle Uncensored. Now, friends, I want to make it clear that there is no way that we are even touching on half of what is in The Oracle. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, and of course, The Oracle Uncensored, eight DVDs. There's a lot more. You will want both the book and also the eight-DVD set. Our toll-free number is 1-800-652-1144. So, could an ancient prophecy and a mysterious ordinance given in in the Middle Eastern desert over 3,000 years ago be determining events today? Is there some connection? Well, there really is. Jonathan Kahn's book, The Oracle, the eight-DVD set, The Oracle Uncensored, contain revelations about key events today. And you can check them out with history and with the Bible. Give us a call, and you will be amazed at the correlation with current events, 1-800-652-1144. Let's pick up where we yeah, left off. Let me, let me just tell you something that will help you. The DVD, the eight-one-hour thing with images, it's uncensored. So I'm sharing things that are nowhere else, and you cannot get this on Amazon or anywhere. In fact, I'm going to get into the number. I've never done before the mathematics and numbers of the end and the timing of the end. That's only in that DVD thing. So there are things in each the book and the DVD which are not in each other, and the DVD has things that are nowhere else. Okay, so I just want you to know that your people don't. Like yeah, it was like paradigm uncensored. Yes, yes. Yeah, you, we hardly scratched on that. No, but we had so many calls for that. I think you yeah. just said we were one of the major pushes of the DVD Amazing. set, and this is even. I promise it's God, not me. You'll be blown away. So the book of Daniel, there's a number given, a prophetic number at the end, which is a number of prophecy. It says 1335, he who waits to the 1335. Now that's talking about when the enemy will stop occupying Jerusalem, it'll be moved out of the way and all that. There's something yet to come with this fulfillment. But that number, 1335, is that number of the end of the occupation. The enemy's got to get out of Jerusalem. Amazing thing, Larry. All of a sudden, the number 1335 starts appearing in the Middle East, and it appears 
1917 Jubilee, the same year that's appointed. And what happens in the Jubilee? You go back to your land, and the person on the land has got to get off your land. And the number 1335 is the number to end the occupation. This is 2,000 years of it. Well, it all converges 1917. Why is that? Why does it come up? Because turns out in the Islamic calendar, the year number was 1335. When the Muslims are marking 1335, the number in the Bible that says you have to get out, it says the end of the occupation, it's the same year as 1917, the year of Jubilee, when the original owners have to come back. All of a sudden it appears, and the Ottoman Empire flees the land after four centuries. It's the eighth Jubilee, time of new beginnings. They flee the land, and the Jewish people come back, and the Ottoman Empire collapses. Let me share one more thing here. There is a mystery of the birds, and that is the first time in the history of the Promised Land. You know, the Promised Land is the most fought-over land in the world. But the first time the fighting involved the air, involved wings, was World War I. And it was the year 1917, the year of the Jubilee. Allenby says we need wings because the Germans, they had the skies, and they couldn't win without it. So Allenby gets all these wings, these airplanes in the air, and they take the skies. And that becomes crucial for prophecy to restore Jerusalem. They have to get to Jerusalem or Jesus isn't coming back. Okay, The Jewish people have to get back. So it happens, and because of the wings over the Promised Land, Jerusalem is saved, delivered, without getting destruction at all. Now, Allenby, when his soldiers are about to take Jerusalem, I mean, it's actually the end of the fight. They have the Book of Common Prayer. That's what they're using. And the Book of Common Prayer also has appointed scriptures for every day that were set from centuries in the past. They open it up for that morning, and you know what it says? Turns out there's a prophecy in Isaiah. God says, I will deliver Jerusalem as birds flying over as birds flying over on that day. And the squadron that was crucial in the deliverance of Jerusalem, or that whole war, was 14th Squadron. Their motto emblazoned is, I will spread my wings and I will keep my promise as the Lord. It's amazing. So now there is a day that is in the Bible that's a mystery day. And that is that it's in the book of Haggai. The people are returning to the land, but Haggai comes, and they're, and they're discouraged because they're not really getting the restoration. So he tells them there's a day that's coming that's going to be a day of restoration. And the day, he says, he says it will be on the 24th of Kislev. From that day on, blessing. From that day on, the curse gone. When that comes, there's going to be kingdoms overturned. All right. The amazing thing is we don't have any record of what happened back then. But in the year of Jubilee, 1917, Jerusalem is liberated after 2,000 years. 2,000 years of enemy occupation. 2,000 years. When was it? The year was December 9th, 1917. But on the biblical calendar, it was the 24th of Kislev, the same exact day that's in the Bible that speaks of the blessing on Jerusalem and all that. And there was actually an appointed word. I'll throw in something else. That night... When they liberated Jerusalem after 2,000 years, all around the world, Jewish people are lighting candles because it is the first night of Hanukkah. Now, what is Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the celebration of the Jewish people gaining back Jerusalem and the temple. So on the day of the feast that celebrates gaining back Jerusalem, God works it all together that they gain back Jerusalem after 2,000 years on that same exact day. And there is a scripture that is appointed on Hanukkah that is read on that time. It's God saying, it says, then the Lord will take possession of Judah, and then the Lord will again choose Jerusalem. Only God could put that together.
Jonathan Kahn will reveal more mysteries next time. Get the complete two-day conversation with Jonathan Kahn on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. We have a special collection of Jonathan Kahn resources available today. The books, Mystery of the Shemitah and Book of Mysteries, along with the DVD, The Mystery of the Shemitah Unlocked. All three resources, the books and DVD by Jonathan Kahn, can be yours for a gift of $40 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. All orders over $100 receive free shipping, so order your Jonathan Kahn collection today by calling 1-800-652-1144 or simply visit swrc.com. It's now time to Ask Pastor Larry, a part of the program where Pastor Larry answers your Bible questions. If you have a Bible question for Pastor Larry, simply email askpastorlarry at swrc.com. That's Ask Pastor Larry at swrc.com. Pastor Larry, what is Gnosticism? We are living in a time when there are many apparently new heresies and aberrant beliefs. We're also living in a time when the old ones are resurfacing and becoming popular once again. One of the ancient heresies that is very much with us today is Gnosticism. Gnosticism flourished in the 2nd and 3rd centuries A.D. in the world of the New Testament. There were many treatises written by the early church fathers against Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism rejects the doctrine of original sin, human depravity, and salvation through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It emphasizes transcendence through inward intuitive knowledge, that is, gnosis of the divine spark in each individual, as they believe. The Orthodox Church Fathers believed in a personal God and a personal Christ, who was literally resurrected from the dead. On the other hand, the Gnostic Fathers believed in an absolute principle of deity instead of a personal God. Gnosticism flourished in the 2nd and 3rd centuries A.D., so it was having its greatest popularity after the days of the apostles. However, there were early forms of Gnosticism that were creeping into the church. The apostle John addressed this early form of Gnosticism, often called incipient Gnosticism, in 1 John 1, verse 1. Quote, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. John is telling us two important things about the Lord Jesus Christ. First, he is saying that Jesus Christ was from the beginning. Gnostics believed in several emanations of deity. They were called aeons, emanations of being from the ultimate noble being, God himself. Gnostics distinguished between an inferior God whom they felt was responsible for the creation and the superior deity. They believe that there is the real God, but also several emanations of deity, lower in rank and glory. But according to John, Jesus Christ was from the beginning. In his gospel, John makes the same point. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's from John chapter 1, 
verses 1 and 2. But there is a second thing that John is saying in 1 John 1, 1, and that is that Jesus Christ had a physical body, that which was from the beginning, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. In other words, Jesus was no phantom. He was no ghost. The Apostle Paul also addressed the issue of incipient Gnosticism. In Colossians 2, verse 9, the Apostle writes of Jesus and says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The word fullness is a translation of the word pleroma. Significantly, this is the word that the Gnostics used to describe the highest principle of being, the infinite and unknowable God. But Paul says that all of that fullness dwells in Jesus Christ. That is quite a statement. There is no higher being, no greater deity. Jesus is God. So yes, Gnosticism is addressed by the New Testament. The early church father Irenaeus, who died around AD 200, records that John wrote his gospel to deal with the heresies of the Gnostic heretic, Serenthus. Since the Gnostics generally believed matter to be evil, some of them actually withdrew from the world. Some practiced strict asceticism. They withdrew from the world, practiced a life of poverty, and ate the plainest of foods. The apostle seems to address this very issue in 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where he says that there will be those who forbid to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Other Gnostics, however, developed an opposite approach. They believe that since our bodies are evil, created by an inferior deity, we can sin all we want, and we will not be held accountable. There are several factors involved in the growth of Gnosticism and its increasing popularity in the 21st century. For one thing, we are living in days of apostasy. The Bible is no longer being preached. Doctrine is being de-emphasized. People are more interested in being entertained and in hearing something new and different. Many evangelicals are not grounded in the Word of God. They have no concept of truth and are not willing to contend for the faith. They don't want to be offensive. They are not willing to stand for the truth, and as someone once said, a man who will not stand for something will fall for anything, and we see that happening today. Gnosticism is also becoming popular because it speaks of an inner light of human fulfillment. The Los Angeles Times Magazine recently featured an article entitled, Antiquities Gnostic Church is Enjoying a Renaissance. It was an interview with Bishop Stephen Holler of the Ecclesia Gnostica near Sunset and Hollywood Boulevards, and in an interview he said this, and I quote him, The Gnostics have held that they are always messengers of light who come from the inner worlds as archetypes of transformation, though many feel that Jesus was perhaps the latest and the greatest of these. However, you'll have no difficulty finding experiences resembling Gnosis within other religious contexts. The Samadhi of the Yogis, the Nirvana of the Buddhists, the Satori within Zen Buddhism. Close quotes. So it sounds a lot like the human potential movement. It also ties in yoga and Buddhism. They might even do some chanting. Actually, it sounds a lot like the emerging church movement. Gnosticism sounds so contemporary and so appealing, but it is the same old lie that was passed on in the Garden of Eden. 
For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. That's from Genesis 3 and verse 5. We have a special collection of Jonathan Kahn resources available today. The Book of Mysteries, Mystery of the Shemitah, and the DVD, The Mystery of the Shemitah Unlocked. The books and DVD can be yours for a gift of $40 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. Jonathan Kahn will explain more mysteries on tomorrow's program. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.